You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Watch. We're in an age like no other. No mistaking that whatsoever. No matter how we think it, how we see it, Prayerfully, by the end of tonight, it is crystal clear and engraved in our hearts that we are nearing that time. And for those that are listening in online, in the future, whatever it is, there might be this thought that, well, this is a doomsday thing. It's not. It's exactly what Brother Jamie said in his prayer, and I I reiterate it, that there's nothing in the signs of the times that we glorify in human suffering whatsoever. It's something that we prayed would never happen in terms of that it needed to happen because that is the flesh. That is how people interact when we're at our lowest moments. But what we do see, we see with absolute joy that it's not doomsday. If anything, it's the opposite. It's salvation. And knowing, as as Jamie said in his prayer, that the Prince of Peace is coming. No matter how we look at what's happening, with all the things we're going to look at tonight, there is a lot of things that say peace is nowhere near coming, but it is. We have a lot to get through. So tonight, and and contrary to what Jamie said, I did warn him, I've done my best, I've deleted as much as I can with the recognition that there's a lot that I can't go through. We'll see if we can get through everything tonight. Um, I do have my timer on, so we'll see how we go, and if I get some uh, looks from anybody out there, then I'll just cut it. But... This is a bit of the wireframe, a bit of the blueprint for what we see in, in Daniel chapter 11 and Ezekiel 38. I'm not going to refer to it very much throughout the night, just primarily because of time. Jamie did a talk last week on, uh, on Armageddon, and obviously you, we already have a strong foundation for that. So there's certain assumptions I'm going to have to make tonight. Now when you actually look at Ezekiel 38 and Daniel chapter 11, you see this is the order of things that are commented. And just one point that I want to make there is there is a difference between Eastern and Western Europe. So Eastern Europe under Gog, or under Russia, is mentioned first. And that is because when you look at the slide over, over me, um, and you see the, the, the slight divide there, I'll just zoom in a little bit there for you. Um, when you look at that, that east-west divide, that's Eastern Europe. It, it, it inherently, for, for many years in modern history, has been a part of the Russian uh, support under, under the USSR initially, obviously. And then with the breakup in 1991, then that, that changed. But there's always been that connection. So even the order of things, how it's mentioned in Scripture, is correct. Eastern Europe first. Now tonight, we're, as, as Jamie said, we're going to be primarily going through uh, Russia. We're going to look at Europe as a whole. We will hopefully look a little bit at Turkey, um, touch on Syria, and uh, hopefully, time permitting, fin- finish on Israel. Now, when you actually look at the prophecies, really much of it is down to these four main categories. It's war, economics, fuel, and diplomacy. Now, that's nothing big. That's nothing even important to write down. But it's just more of an understanding that when we're looking at the Scriptures, I think sometimes we can look at this incredible book from God himself and downplay it and just look at it as historical and not make it feel a part of today. So these are today's terms, but these today's terms have been around uh, for a very, very long time. Not so much fuel, that's more of a, a modern thing, but certainly war, economics, and diplomacy. So as we'll be going through the night, um, we're going to be looking at um, everything we're going to be seeing is under these real four headings. 
Now, just to, to connect with um, the talk that Jamie did, so again, to reiterate that in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, we have this incredible truth. And that as a kingdom will come, set up by the prince of, prince, prince of peace, it will never be destroyed, ever. Ever. Like, not maybe. And this kingdom, for those especially listening and interested friends, is not a kingdom that we want to be destroyed. It's unlike many of the kingdoms today. We're not saying we want kingdoms to be destroyed, but we're going, oh, how many times do, we, do, do, do the elections happen and then people are voted out or, or impeached or whatever it is. And we're never stable as a, as a world, but this king will come and stability, peace, safety, security, environmental security as well, will all be a part of that. And that is what we look for. So just briefly, I'll mention this, and then one more verse after this, and we'll move with the, the, um, the news. So Revelation 1, verse 3, if you're going to write down anything tonight or highlight anything in your Bibles, that is the verse, that is the section to write down and, and note. Because regarding prophecy, we're to read, we're to hear, and we're to keep. That keeping is treasuring in your heart. So when we look around and we see the news, from, if we've been looking into our Bibles on our laps, we're looking, we get to know it, understand the mind of God. And then when we look up and we see these events happening, those events should be shown in our mind and triggering because the Bible has shown us what would happen. And so we will absolutely understand what is coming. We won't have fear for the time is at hand. And this, is the, in this verse here, 2 Peter 3 verses 1 to 4 is probably a good connecting verse there. Especially verses 3 and 4. But I'll read verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? Now, how many of us have heard that? I know I have. Absolutely have heard it. Within the truth and without. All things continue as they have. Absolutely wrong. If we think all things continue on as they have, we have not been watching. And that includes myself at times. And so I pray prayerfully tonight that we really want to make sure that this verse is strong in our hearts and our minds so that as we go through, we start to reopen our eyes if they've been closed at all, if they're a little bit dim, if we've been missing things, if we think that the way things are happening in the news, that Russia isn't, going to, isn't fulfilling Gog. It's not going to continue because it certainly will. Now, in terms of what's coming, we all know this very well. So this is uh, from back in Daniel 2, 7 and Ezekiel chapter 38. We really look at the image empire. This image empire is, the, is the, the portion that really this final day empire will take up all of those empires. And one thing just to note, when you look at each one of those stages, Babylon, Medo-Persians, Greeks, and the Romans, all of them were empire hungry. In other words, the phrases that I hear about Putin nowadays, and by no means I say he's a reasonable man by any stretch of the imagination, but we've been hearing phrases like he's insane, he's crazy. I've never heard that talked about with Nebuchadnezzar or um, Alexander the Great. Why? They were madmen, as far as I'm concerned. They were looking after their own strength, their own ability to step. I mean, who cries when they can't invade any further? That's what Alexander the Great did. But we look at these people and say they were, they were, they were impressive or great or they conquested. Now, certainly wouldn't expect anybody today to say that of, of, of Putin. But the reality is, is he's following in a pattern that has been established over and over and over again. And he will fulfill this. And just to put this, I put this on a, on a general map just to show you what countries that we're talking about today. Again, we're not spending too much time on this. If anybody wants me to screenshot and send it to you, you're more than welcome for me to send that. 
Um, but what's interesting, you'll notice that the northern section is not really highlighted here because that is the roof, that is the top. And ultimately, Russia will, or, or Gog rather, will encapsulate all that we see here. And there's the verses to show it from Daniel chapter 11 and Ezekiel chapter 38. And the primary area that we're going to be looking at is really Magog, Gomer, Meshach, Tubal, um, Rosh, and a little bit of Dukarma, and a and, uh, very small amount of Persia, um, and Egypt, and, and Israel. But primarily because of the sheer volume of 27 countries in Gomer and Magog, a part of the EU, and Russia, we're definitely going to focus a lot of our time on that tonight, because that is incredible. And obviously we have... Russia has moved into Ukraine, so in case you didn't know where Ukraine was on the map, there it is. All right, so let's look at Russia. Now, the history of Russia um, in modern day has been thinking that they're dead. This is only 1991. I mean, I'm sort of showing my age thinking that's not that long ago. Half the kids weren't even alive then, or I think actually all of the kids in the front row anyways weren't alive then. So it's, it's a while ago, but not that while ago for the rest of us. Now, we, we thought that Russia was absolutely falling apart. And this is the time when a lot of, lot of people went, see, it's not Gog. can't be Gog. Look at what's happening. How many times do we have to realize what we see with the fleshly eyes is not to be relied upon? And this is where we see it in 2022. I showed this um, at the beginning of the war. But this should remind us of Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 4 and 9. They're on the, on the bottom right-hand side. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. This is the idea of Russia had dried, well not dried up, but had reduced its influence. USSR certainly. And, and those Baltic states had disappeared under the Russian influence in the USSR back in 1991. And, and Putin almost wept over that, saying it was the most, most uh, devastating thing in modern history to happen. But this is where, where, where Gog had gone back into itself. And God is just is pulling down, pulling down Russia. Come back. But right now, Russia is looking for the West, primarily. But what's really going to happen as well, and the pulling down is going, you're not done there. He's going to get pulled down, Gog, down south. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, and thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Russia's army is fearsome. And what we're going to look at a little bit tonight is how much... I'm not going to focus on um, the media trying to give us um, phrasing that fits the narrative, but you'll see it constantly that the way we hear it today, it sounds like Russia's absolutely getting destroyed, not even remotely close to the truth. Now, uh, Putin actually put this missile, well, he didn't make the missile, but he named this missile, it's the Eiskinder missile, and it's a very effective weapon. He actually called it Alexander the Great. Now, this is why when we look at what Jesus the Christ says, watch, and why the theme tonight is watch, because how many of us actually watched and saw that when we see that a missile is named Alexander the Great? He could have called it Genghis Khan, Napoleon. He could have called it, well, he's called a few Satan, literally Satan 1 and Satan 2. But to call it a part of the image empire, which is just before the split, going into the legs of Rome, that's not something to miss. Are we watching the signs of the times? Now, if we think that Putin or that, that uh, Russia is falling apart at the seams, this is NATO chief um, Stoltenberg, which is, this was just an article uh, from November 15th. So most of my articles, I tried to have them within the last three or four days, which was a very stressful thing because every moment I looked, there was a new thing happening, which is a great problem to have, but I really wanted it to be as, as current as possible. So this is one of the 
older ones. I have one more that's spec from uh, 2016. But so November 15th, so this, this, this general, who's, he sees all the paperwork that comes across the desk. He sees what's happening in Russia. He sees the war that's happening in Ukraine. And he says this. NATO chief, well, it says, NATO chief uh, Jen Stoltenberg refuted media, re media reports that questioned Russia's ability to fight in a bigger and longer conflict. So the thought that this could last for years is foreign, especially to probably my generation. The idea that, especially when everything's fast, your phone takes more than, I don't know, three seconds to do something, you go, what a horrible phone. We're so impatient now. Now, the war between when Sweden attacked Russia way back, 20 years that took, right? We're... We don't know how long this is going to take, but what Stoltenberg is pointing out is we should not make the mistake of underestimating Russia. The Russian armed forces retain, a significant, retain significant capabilities as well as large number of troops. That's now. We know how much the, the world has been trying to say that, that, that uh, Putin's forces are falling apart, but ask the NATO general who knows everything about it, and he says otherwise. Because Russia is actually recouping it's military jets as well, and even this one that they're, they're getting, there's two types of jets. One of them is for trainers, so they continue to train their fighter pilots. Why would you bother training them if you're, you're panicking? That's planning. This, is plan this isn't panicking. Panicking is just chuck everything out there. There's a strong level of planning, and of course they've had huge devastation on Russia's side, which of course, you know, it's, it's always... Horrible to see any, de any devastation where human life is lost, whether they're conscripted or not, on both sides of, of the war. But it is happening. It is a part of the war. And then um, you look at this. We can't, we can't miss General Armageddon. I mean, again, are we watching? This man, I mean, I'm not sure who nicknamed him your General Armageddon. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, hey, General Armageddon. Like, that's it's a pretty aggressive phrase. But that's because this guy's ruthless. He's not the sort of person you, you want to uh, cross. Now, one of the first things he did was actually pull out the troops from Kyrgyzstan only a short while ago. This is November 21st. Now, what's really not reported a lot in the news is Kyrgyzstan, with a lot of the bombings and attacks you've been hearing about, a lot of that has been he went to the east side of the Dnipro River and absolutely has been hammering Kyrgyzstan. He pulled out his troops so he could obliterate it. Armageddon is correct. This is, he's trying to break the will. He's trying to cause the Ukrainians to change their direction. He's trying to bring in the weapons from the West and destroy them as much and as effectively as possible, no matter who he crosses which is, and harms, which is very sad. But this reminds us of Revelation 16, verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Wouldn't it be interesting if this general was there? Just interesting. Just, again, watch. Now, the thing about this war, and any war that is with Putin in it, or with um, the Russians in it, can everybody see that okay? It's a bit, is it okay? I'm good? Okay. Is that there's a large level of deception in the war. A large level from every aspect, certainly from Russia, but certainly from the West as well. And one of the, the main things that's sort of being curved off a little bit is I have it in the bottom right there, Europe's energy nightmare has only just begun. And that, that, was, um, that was literally on Thursday night I took that. So it is very, very current what is going on, but there's so much that isn't actually coming through if we're just casually breezing through the articles. The reality is, is this isn't even close to over. 
Now the reality is, is Russia has a large navy, and this was one of the things that was that, that uh, Russia used to deadly effect. Of course, Russia also had some um, devastating results from the brilliant attacks or counterattacks by Ukraine. But the point is, is, is a lot of the, the Ukrainian navy is gone, but a lot of the Russian navy is still going. And this should remind us of Daniel 11, verse 40, talking about with many ships. Now, for a long time in history, Russia was landlocked, had no access to, to the water, certainly not to warm sea ports, which is why having access to the Black Sea was such a critical part of its long-term plan as the Gogian Confederacy. But the point is there, as it says, we're told in Daniel 11, verse 40, with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. And that's almost the idea of the way I see it, is volumetric displacement, where you have so much weight in the water, the water goes over the banks. And I strongly believe that will be against Turkey. Putin is deceptive. We know that very clearly, Daniel 8, verse 25, or sorry, Gog, I'll rather say. Through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And the reality is, this isn't some Hollywood movie, this isn't something that sounds um, incredulous, it's real, and it's happened, and it's happening. Russian sleeper agents have infiltrated UK, warns ex-MI6 operative. And I remember re listening to um, an, uh, something a while back, probably about two months ago, and the West has struggled since Putin's been in power to have any sense of, any ability to get um, agencies into the Kremlin. Sure, they can get it on the outer fringes, but actually getting into Putin's circle, it is very hard. And they've had almost no, well, they have had success, then all of a sudden people start dying. So they haven't had success, whereas Russia has had success with it because there's no limits to what Putin will do. Even to the point where making civilians pay, fire rockets. It's no different than what Hamas and, and Hezbollah does with, does with Israel. We are just going to attack and we'll break the will of the people, even breaking the will of his own people to a certain degree. But this is where we need to remember. We cannot think about Russia as a Westerner, because they're not West. I'm, the reality is it's a different mentality in Russia. This is not saying everybody is the same. This is not saying everybody supports the war. But it's not the way we perceive it in the West. But if you cross Putin, you're either dead, jailed, or exiled, as, the, as this article says. Putin could use Novichok. That is a chemical weapon that is being anticipated, as it says in the very bottom there. I'll zoom in for you at the back so you can see it. According to six people with knowledge of the matter, Putin is prepared to use chemical weapons in a mass casualty event before resulting to nuclear confrontation with NATO. Just so happens that six is the number of flesh. No surprise there. The point is, oop, I just lost myself here. You can still see it, which is good. Um, the point is here, brothers and sisters and young people, is that Russia or Putin is willing to do whatever it takes to make his plan real, which is re restore the ancient Russian empire and go even further. Now, Novichok, just for context, was actually used to poison Alexander Navalny, which you see in the left-hand side there. He's still in prison. He's an activist. Um, and then also Sergei Skripal, which you remember probably that him and his daughter, I think it was in Britain on a park bench, was poisoned with Novichok. Like, this is incredible and not a good way. Putin has arms everywhere, and that is now. He's not have these grand mutinies that we're hearing about. Look, Putin could be assassinated tomorrow. He could die of the supposed illnesses that he has tomorrow. But that should not shake us whatsoever. 
we know that Gog is, like only, only Cyrus is specifically mentioned by name. Gog is a name, it's a, it's a description. It could be anybody. There's plenty of people who could take his place, but for now, this is who we have to deal with. But if we think that the pressure isn't there on Ukraine, if we think that Russia is, is not continuing the westward push, and I really want to make sure we understand this, then why is it that a third of the Ukrainian howitzers is out of service at any one time? Because they're using them and using them and using them. So much, they're breaking them. They have to remove them from active service, go across to, I think it's Poland, fix them, ship them back. So 33%, approximately, of their howitzers, which are very deadly weapons, are not usable because of the pressure that Russia is applying. What about this? Here's some information. Sounds like Russia's running out of weapons. I've heard this. I'm sure we've all heard this for probably, what, at least four or five months. Russia's running out of weapons. So that's an article on the 26th of November of Newsweek. Well, another article comes up that is on the 2nd of November from Reuters that says, Ukraine's military said it had found fragments of Russian-fired nuclear-capable missiles with dud warheads in West Ukraine. There you go. But then it says, and their apparent purpose was to distract air defenses. So this whole thought that Russia is just going, we'll just fire whatever, we'll, we'll throw whatever it takes at them, but we're running out. This is called strategy, friends. It is, it's been used to deadly effects in many wars in the past. You launch something visually, you can't tell the difference. Radar doesn't know that it's, it's pointless, it's just a dud. So then you waste your armed defenses, which is millions of dollars per shot to take it down. And then meanwhile, the real missiles follow right behind. So this is, the way the information, inverted commas, is coming up from the media, we really need to filter through. No different than when we have the Bible in our laps, we are to test the scriptures. When somebody tells us something, we test it. And this is no different in the world around us. Right now, we wouldn't know how it is here in Australia. And again, we really got to remember that what we experience here is not what the majority are experiencing right now in the rest of the world. November 28th, hostilities in Ukraine will intensify again after a cold snap in coming weeks. That's now. And I know what a cold snap feels like. It's not pleasant. And it's not just the cold snap, but what it does is it actually causes the ground to be as hard as concrete, which means you can move. And that's what it even says in that second paragraph there, that both sides, the troops on both sides are currently bogged down by heavy rain and mud, says this report. But meteorologists predict a cold snap in late November, early December, in northeastern Ukraine. We had a, we had a talk here, a special effort by Brother Dan Jolly, I believe it was, those storms that changed the world. This is in northeastern Ukraine. This isn't in western Ukraine. This isn't in southern Ukraine. It just so happens it's where Gog is. Are we watching? So the ground will freeze enough to allow for the movement of military equipment and personnel. Now, again, to just solidify this point that Russia, is, or, or sorry, I'll try and use the, the phrase Gog instead, to, to look at Gog and think that Gog is, is, is falling apart, or that Gog perhaps is panicking, then why would things like this happen? It was a proposal for a gas union between Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. Why would Vladimir Putin go, hey, let's, let's, let's plan ahead. Let's go about five years in the future. I want to make sure we have a gas union. Why would he do that? Because he knows from what he sees, and of course he's arrogant, but he sees that, look, we're going to keep doing this. I need to make sure that I find ways to make the money keep coming in. And when you look at um, Kazakhstan, on the top right there in Uzbekistan, just the bottom left, it's under the control of that image, especially under the ancient Persian Empire and obviously, and then also under the Gogian Confederacy. 
But the, what's actually happening here, I'll just sort of, I'll, um, I'll just read what it says in the bottom left, you probably can't see it. Russia is discussing a possible gas union with Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan to support shipments between three countries and to other energy buyers, including China. So what is happening here is um, China needs more gas. And they want it from Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. But Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan actually use up a lot of their gas for themselves. They have big oil gas fields, but they're going, we kind of need that. So instead what's happening is, is Putin, being an opportunistic person, he's going, well, hold on, let's do a gas union. How about we do that? You don't have to worry about spending billions of dollars to get the gas to China. I'll get it there for you. But it's not me, it's our union. So from all intents and purposes, it's not actually Russia doing this. It's this union. And that will be a way of, again, it'll, it'll be embedding these fish, these, these nations in the scales of the Gogian, of, of Gogian um, dragon, of, of attaching them. Because now Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan is going to see the benefits of this financial incentive. China is going to be happy, and Russia's hooked them in. So these are the sort of things that are happening that is in the future. It's not right now. So why would he be planning that unless he sees the long game? Now, this is amazing, because right now... Um, uh, as effective tomorrow, there's a Russian embargo that's actually going into effect and, and a price cap as well. So um, the price cap that is being agreed to finally um, is $60 and, um, a barrel of oil that has been agreed to by the EU. And that's starting tomorrow on Monday. Um, now, the, the reason why this says it's a gargantuan task in the first line there is that it needs to replace a major source of crude oil. Keep in mind brothers and sisters, young peoples, and those listening in online, that Russia's been planning this for 20 years, or, or, or Putin has, rather. You don't just wean yourself off in a matter of a few weeks. They're hooked. But the reality is, as well, is that what is happening with all this is that it's actually causing an absolute um, uh, strain on the global marketplace. The world's oil trade, as it says in the first, second paragraph there, is being rerouted often with much longer journeys, straining the shipping fleet to near breaking point. And look at this. And while it's wildly assumed that, that President Putin will allow operations to continue as usual while the embargo and the price cap kick in, have they not met this man? He's going to just go, that's fine, I'll, I'll let it all continue as it, as it has been. Anyways, so they con it continues on. Some analysts actually do worry that he might actually use it as a weapon. Yes. Absolutely he will. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'd be absolutely surprised because he's done it with everything else. So why would he stop there? And all the while, while this is happening, so while the West is saying, or the, while EU, EU is saying, if you try and trade with us anything less, or sorry, more than $60 a barrel, then we're not going to allow you to ship that oil. We're not going to allow for insurance to be on EU um, ships. And we're not going to let it come in. So that's the embargo, and that's the price cap. Now, Russia's response to that, well, actually, the OPEC Plus's response to that is tomorrow, oh, sorry, today, actually today, Sunday, um, they're all meeting together, OPEC Plus, to come together and say, what are we going to do about our production levels? It just so happens to be the day before this embargo goes into place. Be interesting. Really watch that spot. How does Saudi Arabia and uh, Russia and the West respond? Imagine if all of a sudden they drop production levels and drive the price up. Russia cancels the, any shipments of oil, and, and uh, Europe is really up the creek. Imagine driving down the street and you see that on the right, top right-hand side. This is what Ukrainians are going through. 
is absolutely devastating. But it's not stopping. That is the point that we're making here today. And now Russia is plotting an imminent massive strike on Ukraine, military analysts say. Another Russian bombardment is imminent, military analysts have warned, after satellite pictures showed bombers preparing at an airbase in southwestern Russia. Satellite imagery shows that Russia may be gearing up for a massive aerial assault on Ukraine. These images show almost two dozen long-range bombers and cruise missiles being prepared to combat, for combat at the Engels II airfield that's near Saratov Oblast in Russia. Ukraine military officials told local media the bombers will be used to increase strikes on ground targets in Ukraine, especially energy infrastructure. Now let's bring in Mike Martin, a senior fellow for war studies at King's College in uh, London. Mike, there seems to be a high alert on Russia's Engels II airfield there. Is this a new major offensive in the making? I think this is a continuation of, of what we've seen over the last few months, but perhaps at a larger scale. The, the Tupolev bombers that have been concentrated at Engels, and Russia now has about 20% of its strategic air force located at this airbase, carry cruise missiles, and so they can fly over Ukraine and unleash multiple cruise missiles at the same time. Okay, so that is now. That, was, that, was, that video was from two days ago. So right now, this is what's happening. So again, when we actually look at what's happening, this is continuing to get worse and worse. This article here, this is, this is where you have the moment of absolute honesty and truth from some uh, European ministers. This is the Finnish Prime Minister, Sana Marin. Now she says, I must be very honest, brutally honest with you. This is, well, two hours ago according to that, but I took this yesterday. So this is yesterday. I must be very honest, brutally honest with you. Europe is not strong enough right now. We would be in trouble without the United States. Well, let that sink in. We see what's going on in Ukraine and with all the, the failures that, that Russia has had, all the attacks that Ukraine has been able to impart. But when you actually pause and you consider there's Russia, he's being, being obviously, or Gog uh, is being supported by Iran and the likes. But ultimately, it's Gog or Russia against approximately 30 other countries. That's the reality. Now, sure, it's not troops on the ground, but Poland has almost run out of everything. America is going to take about four years to recover. They're almost at the point, I think it's January, they'll be running out. I, I, don't quote me on this, it might be Patriot missiles, I forget which ones they are. But they will stop being able to send them over because they won't have enough for their own self-defense. That's America. And that's happening across the EU as well. And Russia somehow, obviously we know from scripture, this is where we need to watch, we know that Russia is still able to keep that pressure up and move west. And if Russia had succeeded in the 24 hours that was the tightest time frame for taking Ukraine, or up to a week that was expected as well, we don't know, we can't forecast that, I'm not clairvoyant, but if that had happened, perhaps if Russia had taken Ukraine that quickly, then all of NATO would have put a bulwark right up against it, bristling with weapons, and Russia couldn't move any further. But now what is actually happening with that sustained pressure between, between Russia and the entire Western, Western um, forces, NATO, 
They're wearing down their stockpiles. And Russia knows that. And look at this. The West, this is on November 26th, the West simply cannot supply the astronomical military aid Ukraine needs to secure decisive victory over Putin's Russia. They cannot supply it. They will not beat Russia. And that is why phrases like, maybe you should ask land for peace. And of course, Zelensky is going, land? We're not going to reward him for taking land. But the West is going, you might need to. So it's a very interesting point. And right now, Putin has no interest in peace talks. And this is one of the reasons. And this is Medvedev. So Medvedev, as some of us would, would remember, he was a prime minister of Russia for, I think it was three years, in the interim where, where, where Putin was basically setting things up so he could be in for life. Um, and at the time, he was classed as a moderator, more left-leaning. And I remember saying to my wife, I said, watch this man, because his name means bear. Right? So again, watch. Not saying that he's going to be leading the nation, but, I mean, if, again, if Putin goes, you never know. But he has turned into, he's scathing of the West, absolutely scathing. So he says here, he basically says, look, if Stolenberg, who's the Secretary General of NATO, um, is, as, is saying as, as he is, if he's saying that if NATO were to supply the Ukrainian fanatics, as he calls them, with patriot systems along with NATO personnel, they would immediately become legitimate target for armed forces. And this is uh, two days ago. So again, he's threatening them. Now, what does that mean to us? Well, when we look at the phrase, be thou a guard unto them, and this is, this is obviously in uh, Ezekiel 38, that word guard can also be translated prison. Sometimes we say prison guard. So if you translate, you say, be thou a prison unto them, it changes it, doesn't it? Now, you can, you can live nicely in prisons. That's kind of the problem with some prisons. It's, it's Club Med, as they call it, um, in some parts of the world. They say you actually live better there. Some people actually go to prison so that they can have a better lifestyle rather than on the streets. However, it can also be a living nightmare. It can be the place where if you don't do what I say, you can't escape what I'm doing. So really look at it from that perspective. I'm not saying there can't be friendships and can't be allies. But it's something to remember that it's not necessarily through friendship. And we're going to highlight that over the remaining portion of the class tonight. Because when you look at Belarus, who is an ally, and all of a sudden this, this foreign minister who is in, he was a foreign minister for, I believe it was 10 years, he was 60 years old, great bill of health, he all of a sudden dies after he criticizes Putin. I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm not saying anything nefarious happened. But, I mean, I'm not sure if we can believe in coincidences that closely. And then when you look as well at Madova saying, hey, we're ready for any scenario of Russian energy blackmail, absolutely incorrect. You're not ready. And they're one of the weakest nations uh, that are ex-Soviet bloc because they don't know what the scripture says. They don't know what is coming. But the point is this. When you look at this slide here and you see European gas prices swing with focus on weather supplies, and it says here, natural gas prices in Europe fluctuated on Monday as Russia's decision not to cut flows via Ukraine countered concerns that, could, that cold weather could boost demand. And this was on uh, November 28th. You might go, okay, that's interesting. But this is control, brothers and sisters and young people. Putin goes, or, or Russia goes, I'm going to press the button, or I'm going to turn off the taps, and the, world, and the world's economy crashes. It goes panic stations. And so then when they say, okay, we're going to take our hand off the button, oh, it's all okay now. That is power. If Ukraine, if, if Britain, if America said, we're going to do this, 
Russia goes, okay. That's not power. The power is the fact that Russia controls, or Putin or Gog controls so much, even to the point of in Britain saying, turn off everything. Turn off radiators and empty rooms. Don't leave devices on standby. Insulate your loft. Why? To save you money. They're trying to make it sound like it's, hey, it's to save you a bit of money, which is true, absolutely, as prices are going through the roof, and I'll show a slide on that in a minute, and I'm not going to make it through the whole talk tonight, just so that you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is here, is that this is only sustainable for so long. And when you see this next one, where Germany, they're um, about the fourth line down the left-hand side, um, they're saying that inside temperatures and in, in like banks and everything else, they're trying to, they're saying, well, we'll keep the temperature about 19 degrees. We say that's kind of nice, especially in here, where we think 19 would be lovely in the middle of summer. In winter, that is not lovely. You won't die from it. It breaks you down after, after if you're doing this for months, and then you get in your car, but you've got to try and save the fuel or save the fuel so you're not cranking the heat. You get home to a house that is not all that warm. You don't have a ton of food in the fridge because everything's gone through the roof. The list goes on. It's not sustainable. That's the point. And Russia is controlling this. But the reality is, is that as this winter is getting colder and colder, faster and faster, the reality is, is that the, the gas exports are at an all-time high from other countries, including what's happening with Russia. Now, when you look here, you might say, well, I thought the West wasn't taking, or Europe wasn't taking any gas from Russia. Well, sort of. Very small for you to read. Sorry about that. Um, when you look down here, for example, you see the liquefied natural gas imports from Russia are up about 40% in a year as buyers scramble to replace dwindling pipe flows. Okay, so the the, it's going up, or it's gone up. The bottom right one, or the bottom left one, the EU spent a record 12.5 billion euro on Russian LNG from January to September, five times more than a year earlier. That's money just pumping into the system. Now what's happening is this blind eye effect is occurring where the, 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 the pipelines, oh, we're not gonna take that. I mean, most of it Russia shut off anyways, but we're not gonna take that because we, we, we're unified. We're not gonna accept that, but we'll take the ships that come in. So it sounds like they're doing all the right things, but they're not, and this is why when you look over here, EU is hooked on Russia. That's what I was saying before. The EU is hooked on Russia. Now, if you look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 29, and, you, and you, you, you look at Ezekiel 29, you look at verses 3 to 4, you, it talks about um, Egypt as that dragon. The same phrasing that's used of Russia. Hooks in your jaws, talking about Egypt. And what it says there is it actually talks about fish of thy rivers will stick to thy scales. And that's the picture, brothers and sisters and young people, this is the picture of an apex predator that has those, the, the, the feeder fish that connect to it, that can't survive without that apex predator. And these nations, like what would happen in Egypt, are hooked on Russia. And the same thing, when you look at, when you look at as the results of Ezekiel 29 of Egypt, the same thing happens in Ezekiel 39 of Gog, where it'll be thrown into the wilderness. And with all your hordes with you, Magog is included in there in chapter 39 of Ezekiel. The same thing that happened to Egypt. And so that is exactly what's happening here. We can see these nations being hooked into Russia. Using the same phrasing, can you imagine the angels trying to get, the, get these people to type in the word hooked? Could you use anything, latched onto, focused on, whatever the phrase might be, but it's hooked on. Are we hooked into the scripture and seeing that? 
I'm going to skip through a few things here. But when we look at how Russia, how, how um, Europe tomorrow is putting these embargo on, on um, oil, look at that date there, February 5th, it says there on the top section. February 5th, so we've already gone December 5th, we're going to put an embargo and limitations, price caps on, on oil. But not only that, we're going to go, we're not going to get any more diesel from you. Now, again, maybe it's because I've got, I'm an electrician and I'm Canadian and Australian, but I'm looking at that going, February is like the, one of the worst months of the year to be going, hey, guess what we don't want to have is diesel for our diesel generators when we run out of power. I just, I can't fathom the thinking that goes into it, but this is where we see the angelic hand. It's not, it's not about reasonableness, it's about continuing the process of, of, of Europe being under control by Russia. Because what is happening right now, if you look in the bottom section there, um, Europe sells many cars that run on diesel. The fuel is also used for truck transport to get a huge range of goods to consumers, huge range, and run agricultural machinery. So those higher costs will be spread throughout the economy. They're already breaking down, as it were. It is very, very tough for the Europeans. And then they're going to say, we're not going to bring in diesel fuel. Well... It's not just Russia that's doing this. The Americans are too. Some European officials are accusing the U.S. of profiting from the Ukraine war. This is November 28. 400% is what the Europeans pay for the LNG that's exported from America. They pay four times what the Americans do for that same gas. So, of course, Europe is going, I thought we were friends. You know that we're, we're hurting here. Now, just to highlight that, this is a great... Um, if you want to look at it on your own time, it's Visual Capitalist is the, is the name of the site. It's fantastic. I just got this tonight. So I superimposed each one. Um, now I'll focus into it. But each one shows um, gas, uh, gasoline, which is petrol for us here, and electricity prices at a, map, at a macro level. So when you look here, let's look at gas. So I've, I've zoomed it because when you look at the rest of the world, it's all the same. But when you look at Europe, it's the worst case scenario for each type of fuel. So natural gas prices are the highest in Europe in the whole world. And what does it say there on the left? European, can you read that? No. European uh, storage capacities could fall by 20% by February if Russia completely cuts supplies, <clears throat> cuts supplies and demand is not reduced. That's huge. That's going to, again, low supply, equal demand, prices go through the roof. Or if demand increases, even worse, because of the weather. Gasoline prices or petrol. So there you go. Most expensive in the world is in Europe. The Nordic countries of Iceland, Norway, and Finland. And Finland is just is really, really pushing to become a part of NATO. Uh, have the highest gas prices in Europe. So they don't escape it with gas either. Now electricity. In Australia, we know how expensive things are. Well, guess what? We're not the most expensive. Europe is. Electricity costs have hit records for American households in 2022, but in Europe, as it says on the right-hand side there, this winter, UK heading co uh, heating costs are projected to rise triple compared to this time last year. Triple. So you think of that, friends. If all of a sudden your cost of heating your home or cooling your home went to $1.20 from $0.40 cents a kilowatt hour, how many of us would sort of go, oh, that's not good. But what if everything went up? 
That's real now. That is what is going on in Europe. So when we see the fault, when we think that there's unity, there's going to be a lot of fault lines that are going to happen. And in fact, what's happening now is, is, is the Russian war is actually solidifying Asia and the Middle East to building more refining facilities for gas and for oil. And this should make us think of Daniel chapter 11, verse 43. Because there's a lot of oil and gas that actually comes through the Suez Canal. We all remember Suez 2.0 when they had that, the, um, the tanker. What was it called? The um, green something? Anyway, whatever it's called. The evergreen, thank you. Which is, which is interesting because it really caused, caused a lot of issues there. But anyway, so the evergreen was there, and it was just on that nice little angle. Any mathematician would go, that was a great angle to just cause nothing to go through, and nothing did. You can picture Putin just sitting in his bed at night going, oh, I, I want that. All he has to do is go, I'll send a ship there and put it on an angle. But that would have possibly started the ball rolling. And it should have gotten our minds rolling too and thinking about how this could actually be. That just a simple blockade there can cause the world's economy, it took months to even remotely recover, and it never has fully. When it comes to what has happened, this is the same article, when it comes to what has happened with the invasion, there's the word surprise there in the top left. And we're told not to be asleep, to be awake. But the world is asleep with fuel security concerns. Now look at that next one, worker strikes. How many times have you heard in the news that there's been an incredible amount of worker strikes around the world? I barely hear it, but it is happening, which is actually going to drive costs up. Soaring inflation, we know about that. The West is feeling this strain. Uh, the stocked piles of diesel are, are, are dwindling. So what's expected is in Europe, by springtime, they're going to be very, very, very low. Well, it's not going to get any higher if they then say in February, just before spring, we don't, we're not going to take any more diesel. So it's only going to continue to get worse. But ultimately, there's a greater disparity between the Europe, and the Europe and the West and the rest of the world. And where you see in the bottom graph there, Asia and the Middle East are projected over, over the next two years to really build up their refinery capacity. But you look at the Middle East and Africa, those are the two nations that, unfortunately, we won't get to tonight, but those are the two parts of the world that Russia has been investing in to try and make sure that they have control. And this is one of those many reasons why. If all of a sudden Go controls the Middle East and Africa, won't control Saudi Arabia in the end, we know that, but there's other nations like Kuwait and Iran. If, he control, if they control that, the sanctions don't matter at all. And I'll finish shortly, but this is again another indication of where we're going. This is where when you look in Ezekiel 38, and you see, have you come to take a spoil? There's no mentioning of the West interceding in the, in, the, in the earlier verses, is there? It's just there. And that's not even interceding. It's just going, what are you doing? But when, when Britain, or when Britain, when uh, Gog envelops and becomes the prison guard to Europe and possibly to Turkey and the likes, it doesn't seem to suggest that there's any interaction from some of the young lions. And maybe that's because there's a division. I mean, NATO is America. It's not EU. It's really actually America. But this is what's happening, the Inflation Reduction Act, and it is causing a massive rift right now between the EU and America. The point where the Inflation Reduction Act has changed everything. Is Washington still an ally or not, says one EU minister. 
Europe is also riled up by the money flowing into the American defense sector. All that money that's being, or all those, the, um, the weaponry that's being sent over to uh, Ukraine, there's still a large amount of money that's actually coming into the coffers of America. War machines drive economies. Why do you think Putin's been trying to do that for a long time in the past? You think of Georgia, you think of, you think of Crimea, is because, and even think of what he's been doing in Syria and other parts of the world, is because it actually can drive and collapse economies depending upon the situation. But what it is here, friends and brothers and sisters, I'm not going to go into detail on it, but ultimately it's all about protectionism. America is protecting their assets. It started the ball rolling under, under Trump, and now what's actually happening is they're going, look, you buy green, you buy American green, you buy uh, you know, electric vehicles, you buy batteries, etc. There's a big financial incentive. I think it's $369 billion in spending on climate energy policies. And what that is is that it's, it's actually the U.S. lawmakers are going, we want companies to come to America. We want people to buy American products, don't buy any, anything else. Now, they're not thinking like that, or apparently not thinking like that. They're not going, don't buy European, don't buy Canadian, don't buy Australian. But they're going, we need to build up our economies. This is, all, this is what's been happening for a long time. And so what is actually happening, though, the, the European nations are going, as it says, they're highlighted in blue, there's serious concerns going, wait a minute, our economy's tanking. And now you're going to take that industry from us as well? So Macron, who, is, um, who actually headed over uh, two days ago and had a chat with, uh, with Biden, he was furious at the French temper happening. And now Biden's turned around and said, well, maybe we can do something here. Maybe we can, maybe we can massage it. Wrong. Too late. Remember, the Republicans won the majority in the Senate. So they will be in power, or they will have the majority in January. And even within in the Democratic Party itself, they're going, you're not changing this. We worked hard for this, and the Republicans are infamous for America first. So whether the EU wants them to change it or not, and if it happens, what concessions will Biden have to make internally? So he has to sacrifice so many things. But the point is here is that schism is beginning to develop, and Vladimir Putin, Gog, is loving it. He's finding his second wind as cracks start to emerge in the West's commitment to Ukraine, and that is what is happening, even at the democratic level, saying in the bottom right article, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession, and they're not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. There's corruption in Ukraine. It's always known that Ukraine was, was quite corrupt before the war even happened. That's sort of, sort of being put to the side, because now it's a classes of good versus evil. But ultimately, friends, brothers and sisters, and young people, it's getting, people are getting tired, and it's probably not going to continue very much longer. I'll just do this one and one more slide. This is the article from Al Jazeera. How can governments respond to an increasing number of strikes? I'll read it. Industrial unrest is spreading across large areas of the world. From truck drivers in Chile and South Korea to rail workers and nurses in the United Kingdom, a global cost of living crisis is pushing workers to go on strike. Economies barely recovering from the coronavirus pandemic are now facing more hardship the war in Ukraine, the climate crisis, and the price of food and fuel have pushed several countries beyond their ability to cope. This, is this challenge too big for many governments? Perhaps that's one of the reasons why China is stockpiling gold. Get rid of the American dollar. They see what's coming. It's also what Russia did before the invasion. So who knows what's going to happen with China and Taiwan. But the point is, is the world is fulfilling Luke 21. Well, it's fulfilled, really, in my opinion. The sea and the waves roaring, that's the loud 
echo is that word roaring. It's huge. It's around the world. It echoes everywhere. Everybody's hearing it. Not any country has been spared what we're going through today. Even in Australia, we're feeling it here. Men's hearts fail them for fear. That word is terror. But what does it say next? For looking after those things which are coming on the earth. It's all about a futures trading environment. We're looking to the future and going, the world's panicking. What's going to happen next? But prayerfully, brothers and sisters, we don't panic. And I'll leave you with this cliffhanger here. I'm not sure how many of you know this. There's a possible war that's going to happen between Greece and Turkey. Now, this was November 26. Now, Turkey and Greece have had a lot of fights in the past. Uh, the most recent one that was really close to a war was 1990 over a pair of uninhabited inlets. But the point is this, is that there's a strong connection between Greece and Russia. Greece, or the, the Russians actually came from the Greeks. They moved up to Byzantine, established it there, and then turned into, um, turned into uh, uh, or, the, or Constantine took it over later on, became Roman, etc. And then, and then the, the inhabitants there in 1453, when Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire took over, moved up to Moscow for the third Rome. So when you actually look at what's happening, I can't, I can't help, I've got to put this one in. When you look at what's happening with, with uh, Greece and Turkey, this sort of thing should remind us of, the, of what is potential to happen. So this is, uh, this is actually the longest to go article. This is back in 2016. But remember, this has never left Russia's mind. I'll just skip to the next one. That one's about Ukraine. Should Turkey not stop supporting Al-Qaeda Syria branch? And there's a fight that's happening between Turkey and Syria right now. Right now, it's called Operation Inevitable. I mean, again, it's inevitable. It's happening. Should Turkey not stop supporting Al-Qaeda Syria branch? I'm indeed eager to, send, to end the job late Tsar Nicholas II left unfinished during World War I. He sought to restore Constantinople to Christendom and protect Russian maritime security by liberating the Dardanelles, that's the inlet, and the Bosphorus, the outlet between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean, um, Bosphorus Straits, but fate prevented him. We also advocate, in black there, we also advocate Greek sovereignty over the Cyprus. Russia is more pro, in my opinion, uh, the Greek country, the nation, than Turkey and called the Turkish regime to end its decade-long occupation of this Mediterranean island, referring to five-year-old Syrian crisis. Now, hear this. S Mr. Putin launched a scathing attack on Turkish president's dreadful dreams. <laughs> dreadful dreams. That's what Nebuchadnezzar had with his dream of the image, of breathing life into dead Ottoman Empire. Revelation 16, the drawing up of the Euphrates. It's a, it's a drying up. There will be no redemption of the Ottoman Empire. And it's strongly suggested, brothers and sisters, that Vladimir Putin or that Gog will descend upon Ukraine, or, sorry, Turkey and take back Constantine, Constantinople because that is the eastern leg of the Roman Empire. We'll finish with some writings that we know well. John Thomas tells us that when Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, let the reader know that the end of all things at present constituted is at hand, and salvation will be to those who not only look for it, but have trimmed their lamps. And this is from the most recent um, Bible magazine, which I suggest you read it. It's very, very good. Volume 35, page 14. 
says, We shall be called to judgment sometime before the gathering of Gog's armies against Israel, so that we do not have to wait that event for Christ to come. Think of where we are now. The resurrection, the judgment, and some instruction of Israel is to happen first. Today, we should be ready and prepared for that call to come to the household. We have every reason to expect it, so let us cast aside every weight, every hindrance, that we may receive the news of his coming with peace and joy in our hearts, and not the fear that comes from shame. And our Lord Jesus the Christ said in his closing words, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. Surely I am coming quickly. Watch. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.